Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. We're going to be talking today about the refuge of the self. We've been taught to believe that any refuge, any safety, can only be found outside of us through external events, circumstances, and people. We strive, therefore, to find the right circumstances, the right people, and the best possible events for our lives. We want to make the right amount of money, work the right jobs, have the right level of prestige and power, and, of course, have the right relationships. And, of course, we want to be smart about all these life decisions, but they cannot provide the kind of refuge that can only be found in the self. So what do we mean by self? And how can it create a bigger refuge, broader, more profound than any of life's circumstances, events, or relationships? And, indeed, even guide us to making aligning life choices. So you want to be here for this. This is going to be an interesting conversation. So first, what we want to do is define the self. And I've, I say the self has a capital S because it's different from the small s self, which usually is more like an identity. There are people and books out there that say that that's an ego. And I choose not to use that terminology because it makes people think they should not have an ego. And I disagree with that entirely. I work, I've worked in mental health for well over 30 years, and I, I know that... Um, If we try to get rid of the ego, we don't have a liaison between the inner and the outer world. So we can be over-identified with the ego and operate as if other people's ideas of who we are matter more than our own. And we can be under-identified with the ego and uh, then we will be not... We will, not, uh, we will not be able to sort out the distinctions between what's the inner world and what's the outer world. And that might even go into a psychosis. So we want to make sure that we have an ego. It is a very, very important part of us and we need it. But identity? Now, identity is what we identify with. So in our home, families of origin, in our homes as we grow up, we... Um, begin to identify with certain things in that family as a way of surviving in that particular family of origin. Now, if it's a family that honors our authenticity and honors and everybody in the family tries to be authentic, then you're not going to need much of an identity. You're going to be able to live into the self pretty quickly. Unfortunately, most families don't operate that way. Unfortunately, most families have agendas for their children, for each other, for themselves, and they operate out of those, and a lot of unconscious material gets projected onto the children because these are the things that you're not living into, and there's it's like a shadow tail behind you that swishes around and captures people in its, in its um, darkness. So, when we, have, when we have that, a lot of unconscious material that we're not really working with, where's it going to go? As we live our lives, it's active energy. It needs to go somewhere. It can't just sit there in a little dark room in your in your psyche. It rather needs to go somewhere. So what we tend to do is project it onto other people. And um, we may project it on places and things as well, but it's harmful when it's placed on people. 
And so a child growing up in a home, for example, whose parent cannot ever admit to being wrong about something, where's all the wrongness going to go? It's probably going to go into that child. The child's going to be doing a lot wrong. The child's going to be the one who is the scapegoat in the family who can't do right. And maybe even the black sheep of the family where, you know, the child is told he or she is bad all the time and and are shown that he's he or she is bad all the time even if you don't use that jargon of bad or good maybe the child grows up to believe that he's bad because the only time he gets noticed is when he's bad or bad according to the morals of that particular family and so uh that's the that would be the black sheep he would grow up to identify as the black sheep of the family and i literally have had clients coming to see me and say I'm the black sheep of my family, and they know it. They know that they are because their family rejects them for being the darker side of things, um, living into the badness instead of the goodness. And, of course, no one in that family is good or bad. They're all just struggling to survive. But they project these unresolved issues about good and bad onto their children, and their children identify with that. Uh, if the child is a scapegoat, not the black sheep, the child will probably grow up trying hard, 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 harder to be good. Um, striving for that final approval that will say, yep, you're good now. And that child may end up in some really difficult relationships, even abusive relationships, because they think they have to sacrifice and they have to forgive and they have to keep giving another chance because that's the good thing to do and that's going to make them worthy people. And they, they don't know that um, all of that is just a fiction. They don't know that they don't have to do all of that. They don't know that. And, and if, if, if it's called into question, they become very anxious because they really believe that they have to be good in order to be, see themselves as worth anything. So in that sense, then, the, the, that's the family scapegoat. It could be a victim identity. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's... who's um, been victimized. There's plenty of people out there who've been harmed by assault and or harmed by some kind of abuse, and they definitely are victims of that abuse or victim of that harm. So I'm not saying that 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 didn't happen. I want to be real clear about that. What I am saying is that people can identify as victim, which means that they live their lives believing that they're always fighting City Hall, and City Hall is always going to win. And so they may find themselves in relationships where they get victimized. They may may sabotage all of their best laid plans. They may uh, um, demand that they get help from someone else or be rescued by someone else uh, quite a bit and tell the person, if you you don't rescue me, that means you don't love me. It's because somehow rescue has been acquainted with love. Not acquainted, associated with love. So... um, so they can have a victim identity. They can have a rescuer identity where they believe that because early on in life they probably did attempt to rescue someone or maybe successfully rescued someone or several someones or it was projected onto them that they had to re- be, play the rescuer role in their family of origin. And so they grow up believing that their only worth is to rescue other people. And so they spend their lives rescuing other people from all kinds of difficulties, spending lots of money, even going bankrupt to help others, um, and feeling like life is meaningless if they can't really rescue other people. So that's an ident- another form of ident- identity. 
um, there's the runaway identity, the person who doesn't want to feel feelings, the one who who uh, operates as if there are, you know, that feelings just don't matter at all and will actually escape to Ethiopia or Australia or somewhere far away from family so that they don't have to be shamed by their families of origins. And that's how they cope. That's how they survive. And every time something difficult comes up, they move to another part of the world or they just don't disassociate themselves from it. So either way, they're running away from it. So that's a runaway identity. And um, so th- these are just some of the possible identities that we can have that don't have anything to do with the self, except that the self uh, said at some point in their lives, the self said, you know what, this is deadly stuff around you, and um, you're going to have to put on a mask and host- costume to survive it. So go ahead and put on the mask and costume, and, one, and s- I'll be here knocking on the door, and I'll be here giving you little hints, and I'll be here, uh, you know, basically saving your life through this through these means. Um, and uh, at some point, I'll come down and be loud enough for you to hear me, um, and and you can then we can you can identify with yourself again. But often, by the time that happens, the person is so identified with the identity that they they can't even hear the authentic self. It could be yelling, and they wouldn't hear it. So, self is that deep essence of who you are. It's the deepest part of you. It can be acquainted with soul or spirit. It's your deepest essence, who you are at the core. Not who you pretend to be, not who you act like, not that. Rather, it is the deepest essence of who you are. So, um, self can, and in the self, what happens is we become more acquainted with, uh, with the deepest parts of ourselves. We can find peace, we can even find joy, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... Um, what the self does is it gives us uh, our deepest, most true kind of survival. And when we get in touch with the self and get aligned with the self, it can change our lives entirely. Um, and I think that's what most people are looking for. The self is the healing agent for, all, for most mental health problems, not all. Certainly psychosis is not necessarily something that can even connect to the authentic self, but um, uh, but a lot of mental health problems can be uh, really worked with when the person begins to identify with the self instead of the identity. And, uh, uh, you know, that it has its own healing power. I think of the self as like a, a, a tree where the roots dig down deep underground and thrive under there. And, you know, now they're saying that Trees uh, formulate a, a sort of fungus network between their roots and they communicate with each other that way. So the tree has its own connections that are valid and real. And, uh, and uh, so the roots are, are really what's keeping that tree alive. Without the roots, the tree would die. So our authentic self is what keeps us alive, not these survival techniques that we think keep us alive, but the authentic self is what actually keeps us alive. And uh, and the truth is that the tree above ground could be wounded. The tree above ground might have people carve their initials in it or put basketball hoops on it. Or there could be lightning strikes to the tree's branches. Or maybe a branch has fallen off because the wind blew it. Or maybe some part of the tree has died and the other parts are still living. 
But that's above ground. Down below, everything's doing just fine. So there is a part of us that's just like that tree. The authentic self has not been wounded. We certainly can be wounded in the sort of uh, upper, the part of us that we're conscious of. That part can be wounded. Uh, But the authentic self can't. The soul can't really be wounded. Uh, But because it's way down deep in there, we've protected it. We didn't want it to get hurt. So we put on this mask and costume to keep it from getting hurt. So um, it can't be wounded. It's very wise. It knows the best direction for your life and can give you great guidance. And we can come to trust the self to be our total refuge. Um, So when we talk about uh, self versus identity, I wanted to be clear on what we're talking about with regard to who the self is. Uh, The truth is that when we're seeking externals to keep us okay, those those generally come from the identity. If I've got a superwoman identity, for example, I'm going to seek out situations where I have to be the tough guy, the strong guy, the person who can handle everything and get it done yesterday. I'm going to marry somebody who needs me to take care of them. I'm going to feel responsible for everybody and everything around me. Uh, you know, this this is these are the externals that I'm seeking that match my role, that match the identity. And so I keep those going and find myself in relationships, the same kind of relationships over and over again. Every time I get get married, for example, I marry a man or a woman who just doesn't do anything to take care of themselves. So I end up having to take care of them in some kind of way, maybe financially, maybe physically, maybe romantically. The thing is I'll have to do all the work, but... That identity uh, is what is picked out that relationship in order to keep the identity safe. It seems like I'm I'm doing this thing so I can maintain this identity, not so that it really does work for me, but so that I can maintain this identity. I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone in my office who has said to me, I just don't understand why I keep getting attracted to the same kind of person over and over and over again. And... The answer is the identity is what's doing that work. The identity is trying to maintain itself. It wants to keep the identity going. So it will do what it takes to keep that identity going. It'll involve us in work situations and home situations and life situations that, um, that match the identity and prop up the identity. So we need to know that some of those right externals that seem so right at the time, the right job, the right amount of money, the right relationship, those things that seem to be right, quotation marks around right, are very often coming from the identity. Whereas, and it's a paradox, a mystery and a paradox that some of the wrong things, the failed things, the difficult things often end up giving us messages from the self. Why is that? Because the self has found no other channel to work through. There's been no open door for it to come out and say, hey, I'm here. Come, you know, come on back and be me. Uh, it, we have, we've closed all those doors. We've pushed the, uh, the self into the unconscious and it's just sitting there. Until something difficult comes along that really throws us on the ground and stomps on us for a little bit. And then we're like, 
you know, this is painful. The pain leads me to myself. This is frightening. The fear leads me to myself. This is awful. The terror or the trauma leads me to myself. So I'm not saying that these events happened for a reason. That's something we hear a lot that's meant to comfort people, but and it very often just makes them mad. I'm not saying it's God's will or that these things happen for a reason. I am saying that the self uses these things to, to, to come out and say, here I am, don't notice me, pay attention. Um, but very often we don't pay attention because we're so used to being and enamored with the identity and feel like without the identity we'll just die. It's that we have a really hard time uh, hearing the messages from the self. And so we want to put them away. So Superwoman comes to my office and says she's got high blood pressure out the wazoo. She's, she's exhausted. She is angry and frustrated and resentful all the time and wants me to help her get rid of that stuff. She has spent her life taking care of other people's agendas instead of her own. She has spent her life getting everything done yesterday. And she's just, you know, sunk low now. And she wants me to make magic and, you know, make her be superwoman again. And she can't do that right now because she's so exhausted. So what I want to do is say, okay, this is an open door for the authentic self to seep through. And start asking her questions that might help her get in touch with the authentic self. And we'll talk a little bit about those questions later. But uh, so the self wants to provide refuge, sanctuary, shelter, protection, asylum, harbor, retreat, safe haven. Those are words for refuge that I found in the thesaurus. And that, that's what it wants to do. It wants to give us that. But we keep pushing that away because we think that our life is found in our identity. We think our life is found in those externals that we're holding on to with all our might and white knuckling through. Um, so, uh, so I want to say that we, we're seeking out a way in most cases to prop up the identity. And when something goes wrong or has failed or it's just really difficult, we have an opportunity to get in touch with something more, much more right and to, to live into something more aligned with the self. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more right after this. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Are you disenchanted by the ideas you were told when you were younger? We're always told about the success stories, but not about the climb to get there. With nearly every success, there is a hidden story filled with challenges. Listen to From the Ashes with Mark Azalea. 
You'll hear about these challenges and what our guests had to go through to become the successful people they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the the authentic self and the refuge of that the refuge that is that self. And uh, we want to talk a little bit more about the idea of refuge. What we've said thus far is that there's a distinction between the identity that we've put on, the mask and costume that we've worn for so long, it feels like who we are, and the actual self. The self is the roots of the tree. The tree above ground is all we usually see. Um, so, but I don't mean that what we're going to do is try to correct or punish or get rid of the identity. What I do mean is that we, we need to see where the identity uh, is really not working for us. We need to understand what we've been doing to ourselves and, and how we've been acting in the world in ways that aren't really true. We need to wake up to who we actually are. Um, and that comes without judgment. There's no judgment for what you've done to survive. But uh, there is uh, recognition that begins to happen. So what do I mean by the term refuge? Um, refuge is, as I said before the break, refuge is a sanctuary, a shelter, a protection, an asylum, a harbor, a retreat, a safe haven. And those terms have everything to do with safety and peace. They, when, we, when we were in a refuge, we feel completely safe. And that just can't be found in the external world. We can't find a place where we're absolutely 100% safe. Because every relationship we establish could end. It could end because somebody does something uh, inappropriate or downright by, through betrayal. Uh, or it could end with somebody dying. So there's, it's, it's not a safe thing to have a relationship, although relationships can be very nurturing and very kind and very loving. And, and certainly that's all what we all want in, in our relationships. And I, I agree that we need to have that in our relationships. But until we get safety inside ourselves, we don't always recognize or often take, we often take for granted the safety that is in our relationships. So, um, I'm not saying that you have to love yourself before you can have somebody love you, before you're worthy of being loved. That is far from what I'm saying. What I am saying is that uh, we do need to be able to have a self in order to be in a healthy relationship. And that means recognizing identity and differentiating it from self. And so that's one of the first steps in coming to terms with this whole idea of self and being able to formulate a refuge that is the self. 
So the first step is, is, is being able to just recognize when you are being in the identity. So what does the identity do almost as a, a caricature? The rescuer rescues. The victim feels like a victim. Whether he or she is actually being victimized or not, she feels like a victim. He feels like a victim. Um, the superwoman is going around taking care of everything, getting it all done yesterday. She wants to paint the house. She gets it done by herself. She rarely, asks, rarely if ever, asks for help for anybody else. She is super strong. She has her act together, it seems, and everybody depends on her to get it all done. And she gets a lot of her sense of worth from this role, that she can do that. And the rescuer does, too. The rescuer says, I, I'm, I get a lot of my, my sense of worthiness from this role. The, scape, the scapegoat does that, too. They get a lot of sense of being, uh, I'm a good person. I'm doing everything right according to what I think is good. And that makes me an okay person. And I feel wor- more worthy if I do the good things and I feel really guilty and as if I'm doing something wrong when I'm not doing the really good things or if I'm not serving other people or sacrificing for other people. I wrote a whole book about the scapegoat identity, only in the book it was called The Good Guy Identity. And it's called Letting Go of Good. So if you if you find yourself in the role where you're always striving to do the good things, sacrificing for other people, um, trying hard to be good and be a friend and forgiving and kind and loving all the time and always serving other people, and yet you're tired and you're resentful and you, you are uh, upset that nobody ever seems to take care of you the way you take care of them, this is the book for you, Letting Go of Good. You can find it on Amazon or all your brick-and-mortar bookstores. Um, but uh, so that's one, that's a role that we definitely can play. And there's a way that we get our sense of worthiness from some of these roles. The black sheep doesn't get a sense of worthiness, but he or she gets a, a sense that they are actually alive. You see, one of the things that identity does is it helps us to feel alive. We're not really sure we exist if I'm not if uh, if I'm not really living into this identity. Then do I really exist at all? Because my parents didn't pay attention to my authentic self. I haven't paid attention to my authentic self. I don't even know that that's in there most of the time. So. If I don't have an identity, am I really alive? And that's most true for the black sheep of the family who uh, needs to be bad to prove to himself that or herself that he or she exists. And so that's what they get out of it. It's the perk they get out of it that keeps them going back and doing it again. So they do something bad. They feel like they exist. They go through a period where they're not doing anything bad and they don't feel like they exist. So they're compelled to go do something else that they that makes them bad. And I believe that that's why we have serial killers, because they have to keep doing really, really bad things in order to prove that they're alive. And that's why when they get, uh, when they like to play around with the media and get the media involved or to toy with cops and, and get them involved is because it gives them the sense that see people are involved in this now. They notice me, I must be alive. So... Uh, these are what we do as identity. These are the things we do. We live into this as if it's a caricature. And we can write the script for what it does because we know what it does. It always does the same thing. And it makes us feel like we have some modicum of safety. But 
actually what's happening is eventually the same thing, the thing that saved us as children will begin to kill us as adults because people begin to, uh, the rescuer, for example, has been bankrupted a couple of times or and uh, is exhausted all the time and feels very betrayed by people who don't help him when he needs help. Um, that's just one example. The superwoman gets exhausted and has some physical problems and you know, things are happening for her to kind of wake her up to the idea that she's playing a role that's not really working for her. So we can begin to recognize that by, by looking at our feelings. We can begin to say, oh, this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing this thing, and, but I really feel this way. So there's, there becomes an awareness of the inner conflict that's been there all along. So now I, I know that there's a me that wants A, and there's a me that wants to live into B. And these two are, 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 you know, can begin the process of arguing with each other. That's why in therapy I sometimes get people, depending on the case and the situation, I get sometimes get people to dialogue between those two, to, to get a real clear picture of, of the identity we work on that for a while, and so they begin to, oh, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing that identity thing again, aren't I? Yep, yep, yep. And then they begin to touch base with a little bit, maybe just touch the hem of the garment of the authentic self. And they begin to um, dialogue between those two. And once that dialogue is, begins to happen, there's, there's a real differentiation that takes place. I see when I'm authentic. I see when I'm living in the identity. I can feel it inside me. I can know that I'm doing that same old thing I've always done, looking for different results. And so that's the first step, is recognizing that, uh, that, I, that I've got an identity and that it's different and, and very different from the authentic self. Um, and, and so, you know, we can talk about that some more in terms of understanding that the identity's agenda is to maintain the identity. You know, we talk about corporations that get into business and their business is staying in business. Um, that's very often the case with a lot of our corporations. The business of the a corporation is not to serve people. It's not to provide a certain product, although they do. And it looks like they're serving people. But really the agenda is to maintain the business. So the business of business is to stay in business. And that's the truth of the identity as well. The business of the identity is to stay in the identity. And so that's all the motivation. And it, and, and it really does frighten us sometimes to think, oh, I have to think about the possibility that maybe that's not even who I really am. Maybe I'm somebody else and I don't even know it. And one of the questions people ask all the time, well, not all the time, but frequently, is, is uh, what if my authentic self is really a bad guy? What if I really am bad under there? And that's because we've been taught to believe that at the core of our being, we're bad people. And we have to strive and work really hard to be good people. And that's why I throw out the whole good-bad paradigm completely. That's why you've heard, seen these other shows where I talked about you know, not living into the uh, good-bad um, dichotomy. Because any time I believe that there's a good end of the pole and there's a bad end of the pole... I'm going to identify somewhere along that spectrum. I'm going to say I'm one of those two. I'm, I am, I'm putting my I am on it, which means I'm identifying with it. 
I am good when I do X. I am bad when I do Y. And, and so, you know, that's how we've tried to run the world for centuries. And as I said, I think in last week's show, that is not working. It's, it's not working to say, uh, you know, there's a dichotomy between good and evil and there's this good battle we're fighting to get rid of evil. We're not successful. We have tried this same thing over and over and over and over and over at nausea uh, for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And it's just not working. We're not making the world a better place by doing that. We're not making ourselves better people by doing that. We're just squaring off against aspects of ourselves and trying to beat them down into place by trying to stick a rightness on it or uh, uh, trying really hard to repress everything that we think is bad so that we can strive for goodness. And so if you just throw out that whole paradigm which if you're having trouble understanding this, go back and listen to my show about good and evil. Uh, it'll give more detail. But uh, if, we, if we just can throw out that whole paradigm and forget about good and evil and talk about being real or not being real, that's much more productive. And what we find is that there, you know, there are misbehaviors that the authentic self, I mean, excuse me, that the identity has done there are, you know, behaviors that are not working, they're not effective, they're inappropriate, they don't work. And sometimes our behaviors have actually harmed other people. And uh, absolutely, that's, that, that is the reckon, uh, reckoning that we have to come to terms with. But that doesn't mean we're bad. And it doesn't mean the authentic self is good and the identity is bad. Uh, what it does mean is that there's some work for us to do to get back in alignment with the authentic self. And the authentic self is neither bad nor good. It just is. Like the roots of the tree, it can't be labeled as bad or good. It just is. And what it can give us is a lot of peace and a lot of joy. So, uh, so you know, getting in touch with those that paradigm of good and evil and, and seeing how we misuse it on ourselves is really part of the recognition of the identity. And uh, one of the things that really, another one of the things that really helps us to begin to get in touch with the authentic self is to listen to what we really, really, truly want. What do you long for? What do you really, truly desire? Now, I'm not talking about a want that says, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I need another beer. That, I'm not talking about that. Um, that People say, well, I want another beer. Give me another beer. What they're really saying is I'm compelled to have another beer because I'm an addict. Um, so th- we get desire mixed up with compulsion, and they are not the same thing. Compulsion is uh, uh, lack of impulse control. It is based in obsession. Usually there's an obsession that goes with the compulsion. So the obsession says I got to have another beer. I got to have another beer. I got to have another beer. I had a bad day today, so I'm going to have to have another beer or whiskey or whatever it is that my drug of choice is. And so I need to go get that. And eventually we go get it because we feel compelled to go get it. But that's not the same as desire. Desire is not also not ego aggrandizement. It's not pumping ourselves up into a, a, a place where we can say, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very important person. Um, like if I had a really shameful childhood and I... And I, and I try to uh, become the next CEO without th- of this big corporation without thinking about the tasks of the job and whether or not I'm really going to like those. It's just going to give me a lot of power and prestige. 
and I'm gonna feel good about myself, and I'm and I'm gonna you know push forward and have control over other people. That's ego aggrandizement. That's not uh, that's not desire either. We might say I want to be the CEO, but we haven't really looked at the tasks of being the CEO. We just want all the accoutrements of it so that we can uh, you know pump up our ego. Uh, it's all so that's not desire either, and it's not desire to say uh, I am going to compensate for my childhood by doing these other things. So uh, maybe I uh, grew up in a home where uh, I was bullied by parents and siblings, and then at school I was bullied, and I'm going to compensate for that by becoming a bully. Um, I'm going to be this powerful person and. People are not going to mess with me because I'm going to be tough and stronger than they. I'm going to bully them before they can bully me. That's compensation. And it says, this is what I want to do. It's not really want. It's not really desire. It's compensation. I'm compensating for a very difficult childhood. Uh, And that's a rather extreme example, but it can happen for sure. Um, So paying attention to your desires means looking inside of yourself and and really determining what you really want. I have worked with people in the past who were so caught up in enabling their alcoholic or drug-addicted spouse that they they were trying really hard to fix them that that's all they could think about. And I would ask them, what kind of ice cream do you like? I don't know. Well, how about pickles? Do you like pickles? I don't know. Do you like to uh, jog or run or walk? I don't know. They've never even asked themselves these questions because they're so caught up in trying to take care of or fix somebody else. And that's not just true of enablers. That's true of a lot of us. We have never asked ourselves what we truly want. And so we don't know. We have no clue what it is that we really want. And so we spend our lives doing all the things we should do, have to do, ought to do, but we haven't, we haven't asked ourselves what we want. So getting in touch with desire is very, very important. Why? Because true desire, authentic desire, comes straight up out of the authentic self. So it's definitely one of the ways we can get in touch with the authentic self. So one of the things I do is give people an assignment to go home on Saturday and spend two or three hours doing nothing but what they want to do. And sometimes that's really hard for them to do. You'd think I was asking them to go home and cut off their th- thumb. But but it's but I'm asking them to go enjoy their day for a few hours, and it's hard to do because they don't know how to do it. So these are some of the ways. We'll talk some more after the break about some of the other ways we can get in touch with the authentic self and begin to align with it. We'll be right back after this message. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you have executive function challenges? Actually, these are a lot more common than you would think. These challenges include time management issues, organization, planning, focusing, memory, and problem solving. If this sounds like you, you'll want to check out Focus on Success. With Fozzie Acosti, you'll hear from professionals that offer advice based on their expertise and provide solutions to improve your life. Focus on Success can be heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. 
Now or never means so much more today. Following and continuing these life-changing years faces us with a variety of choices. Are you going to move forward or are you staying put? Is it time to heal? The answers can be found on Now or Never, The Choice is Yours with host Karen Wright. Karen shares her stories along with those of her amazing guests who have found healing and enlightenment while moving along their life paths. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today about the refuge of the self. And what we've said so far is that uh, we can have an identity that is a, a way of living and surviving, but it's not who we actually are. It's a mask and costume that we don't even know we donned. We, in fact, we donned it so early in life that we can't even remember it. All we've ever known in our conscious experience is the identity. But definitely when difficult things come along, especially then, but also even when it's not difficult, maybe falling in love for the first time gets us in touch with the authentic self. Maybe having a job that we really didn't know we were going to love so much can help us get in touch with the authentic self. But you see, the authentic self really has a lot to do with love, a lot to do with really having a passionate, alive, full, rounded life. Uh, And the identity is just trying to survive. So there's a difference between living, thriving, and surviving. And we begin to understand that when we start to recognize the identity, which we said in this last segment that we, that's a, that's a very big first step. Another is to get in touch with desires, um, you know, some passions. I've had people tell me at, uh, in the past that they just don't have anything they're passionate about. And yet, when they go home, they get all involved in their art or they get all involved in some music, or they get all involved in certain kinds of exercise. They don't know that they have a passion. But that's a passion because they really do are enjoying themselves and feel really peaceful or more alive when they do these things. So that can help us get in touch with the self. Some emotions can help us get in touch with the self, even the more difficult emotions. And in the back of Letting Go of Good and the latter sections of that book, I talk about how these emotions can give us messages from the authentic self to the authentic self that really help us to understand what's going on in a given situation. So, for example, uh, I'm angry about somebody stepping on my toe, and I could handle that in the old identity by shoving them off my toe and saying, get off my toe and calling them expletives, or, you know, if I'm a bully identity, or I could... uh, um, I could, you know, just not say anything and try to be nice and good, even though they're hurting me. And that would be the scapegoat identity continuing to do what it always does. Or I could do something different. I could say, this is really painful. I'm going to pay attention to how this really hurts. And of course, I'm using stepping on my toe as an analogy for all kinds of other choices we've made in life that aren't working for us. 
and getting in touch with the pain there helps me to make a decision that is more in alignment with myself. So instead of staying in a bad relationship, for example, and tolerating the intolerable and accepting the unacceptable, I begin to say, these emotions that I've had, this, this anger, this grief, this, um, you know, this uh, sense of myself that's being diminished constantly, those things are not working for me. And I'm going to have to do something different. So that's when actions come in. And we're going to talk some more about that in just a few minutes. But our emotions by themselves can say something's really wrong here or something's really right here. And we need to pay attention to those emotions because they can give us messages. Many, 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 many of us have been taught that emotions are frivolous. They don't matter. They're they're just, you know, difficult or fun parts of life, but they're not anything important. So just put them away. Just steal yourself to your emotions and... Let's just get on with life. You know, I, I've heard of people whose friends tell them after the death of a loved one, three weeks later, they say, you're not over that yet? And it's just shocking to the person who's grieving because the person who's grieving is finally in touch with some emotions that the grief actually caused and wants to go ahead and allow themselves to feel these emotions, but their society tells them they're weak for feeling these emotions, and so they... They want to put them away and hide them from other people. So they only cry at night when they're alone in bed, when uh, they don't have anyone to nurture them because they've never asked for that for themselves. Um, So uh, some of our emotions can be very, very helpful in getting us in touch with the authentic self. And so paying attention to our emotions and allowing them to come and go as they choose instead of trying to send them away, sweep them out the door with a broom, um, that, that works to help us get in touch with the authentic self. Um, alignment, how does it feel to be in alignment with the self? Well, it feels uh, like you're all in the same, moving in the same direction. Your head, your heart, your body, your soul is all moving in the same direction. You're not in conflict, inner conflict. When my head's over here doing one thing and my heart's over here doing something else. So for an example of that would be, I'm in this really bad relationship and my head is telling me this is a bad relationship. I should get out of it. I should say what I need to say. I should tell my truth. I should whatever, whatever it's telling me I should do. And the heart's over here saying, but I love him. And he's got so much potential uh, or she's got so much potential. And I'm, I'm, you know, of course I can't leave because it's not nice to leave and he'll be heard. And what will he do without me? Or she'll be heard. What will she do without me? And, so we got this inner conflict going on, uh, and so the head's want doing one thing and the heart's doing something else. And unless we can get those two talking to each other, they're going to continue to alienate with each other, and you're just going to stay stuck in that situation. You're not going to be able to move. You'll be paralyzed because you're not in alignment with yourself, and you don't can't move from that position. So alignment feels a lot more like peace. So a central question we need to ask ourselves if we're going to get in touch with the authentic self is how does this feel? How does this particular thing feel for me? And as we do that, it's kind of a little bit like Braille. We're figuring out, even though our, our identity can't see what's going on, the authentic self is kind of figuring out what's going on by feeling it, by feeling it. And so uh, 
we can we we can definitely use feelings to help us get into alignment because the alignment uses feelings to say you're in alignment now or you're not in alignment now. And so we, we feel the difference. We feel peaceful when we're in alignment with the self. We feel chaotic or or you know afraid or anxious or worried or uh, you know all kinds of things that don't feel like there's a connection between who we are and what we're doing. Uh, yeah, from when we're not in alignment. We can also use those feelings and those passions and those longings and those desires to help us get into action. Um, So action means I'm going to start doing what it is that I love. I'm going to start seeking out nurturance for my relationships instead of saying I don't don't deserve, you know, uh, nurturance, I, I don't deserve love, whatever that negative message is that we're giving ourselves. Instead of doing that, we start to seek out uh, relationships. Little things like asking someone to pass the salt. I remember somebody telling me one time when she was a little girl, she couldn't ask anybody in her family to pass the salt. One of the first things she did to start becoming more authentic was she started speaking up at the table and asking for salt. Um, And those are just little things that we can do, but they speak to the authentic self, and the authentic self says, oh, there's a crack in the door. I'm going to come through now. Because the authentic self has an energy and a life force all its own. And it can move if we give it just a little crack up and open. So we can start operating out of that. We can start speaking to our own needs. We can start saying that hurt when you, when you, when you said that or did that to me. We can start speaking up and being more vulnerable to with other people. We can start truth-telling. We can... Uh, you know, one of the things we do without knowing it is we lie all the time. We lie to ourselves. We lie to other people all the time. We do that by wearing a mask that's not who, true to who we are first. That's the first lie. Second is we say all kinds of things that aren't true. When was the last time somebody asked you to do something you didn't want to do, but you felt like you had to give them some excuse, so you made up one oh, as to what you didn't want to do? You said, my mother's sick, or you said, I, I, my car's broken down, or you said, I'm sick, or you said something that said, I need to give you an excuse so that I can allow myself to get off the hook of guilt and let myself be okay after saying no to you. But the truth is that if we're authentic, we can say no without ever having an excuse at all. We can just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Thanks, thanks for the offer, but no thank you. And we don't have to explain it to anybody. Now, some of our really close friends or our lovers, we may want to tell them what's going on with us. We may want to say, that's just not my thing. Or we might want to say, you know, I've got another thing going on that's really that really is happening. Or we might want to say, uh, you know, uh, I um, just don't want to do that tonight. So we, we don't have to be mean or abrupt with anyone to say no, but that's what we fear. We've, I've heard so many people say, well, it's just rude to say no to somebody. Well, no, it isn't. It's not rude at all to say no to somebody. It's actually authentic. Um, it's, it's, uh, I've also heard people who uh, say you're rude for drawing boundaries. And certainly no is definitely one boundary, but boundaries are very, very important to the authentic self. So that's another action we can take begin to um, live into the authentic self. Make your boundaries clear. 
this is where you stop and I begin. And we have to know that inside of ourselves first before we can do it for anyone else. We have to be able to say, uh, this, is, this is me being true to me. And maybe not say that to, in words to somebody else, but certainly say it to ourselves. This is me being true to who I am. I'm, I can't do that anymore. So if you've got this relationship with a, with a mother, for example, who constantly berates you and belittles you and tells you you're stupid and tells you you're selfish, and I certainly have worked with lots of mothers who do that, and not the mothers, I work with the children of the mothers who do that kind of thing, and that message has been there all of their lives. And so now they've either learned to cow down and just say nothing until mom gets through with her rant, or they fight with mom and, and, and you know, they have this uh, relationship where we fight sometimes, we stop speaking sometimes, we get back together sometimes, we stop speaking again, we get together, we fight, we don't speak, and we, you know, it's the pattern, it just goes on and on and on. Um, but when that person starts drawing boundaries, and saying, Mom, when you start that, I'm going to hang up the phone now. Or, Mom, when you start that, I'm going to have to leave because that's abusive to me. So I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. And we are very often afraid to do that, mostly because we uh, are afraid that we will upset the apple cart of the relationship, but also because we're afraid that's going to step us outside the identity that we've always known. And so we, we don't do it. But when we start doing it, we feel good about ourselves. We feel like, oh, I've taken care of myself, maybe for the first time in my life, and now I know what that feels like. And it feels like peace. It feels like strength. It feels like a refuge. It feels like safety. I've made myself safe by living into my authentic self. So once we're in alignment with the authentic self, uh, we work with the false messaging system to get back into alignment when we're out of alignment. Every time we hear that false messaging system, we go, oh, that's a false message. Now let me step back into my authentic self. Instead of obeying the false messages as if they have the only truth, which is what we've done all our lives. Um, and, and once we're in alignment, it also helps us, this deep feeling of peace we get for being in alignment helps us to know that the problem that we have right now is just not that big. It's going to work out. We're going to figure it out and, and find a solution because the solutions begin to be raised into our consciousness by the authentic self. The authentic self has that kind of power. It's not a stagnant object that lives in ourselves like our belly button lives on our body. It's actually a, a living entity inside of us. And when we give it room to breathe, it begins to express it begins to come forward. It begins to allow us to have some peace and even some joy. And that's thriving, not just surviving. And so living into the authentic self really does create the refuge. We can nurture ourselves. We can seek help when we need it. We can um, find safety inside of our, in our homes, the inner home, uh, a sense that we're just held. We're being contained and held by the authentic self. And we feel safe. It feels like a great peace. So I hope this is uh, helping you to begin to look into the possibility that maybe there's somebody else in there that isn't this identity that could give me more peace. Because even if you're in a really healthy relationship, you need a self to be able to, 
to respond to that relationship with alignment with yourself and with alignment with the truth of that relationship. So we can't count on the external world to give us peace, but we can count on the authentic self to give us peace. And when we have that peace, we'll know that we're in alignment with the self. So that's our show for today. We'll be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 